1: I mentioned yesterday that in chapters 15 and 16, we have the fifth major vision sequence in the book of Revelation, and together they tell the story of the seven bowls. These bowls have to do with the last and final judgments of God poured out upon the earth. Chapter 15, verse 1 says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them, the wrath of God is finished. So this is the end, right? This is the last. This is the scene and the last act of human history on the earth. Chapter 15 ends with these words, verses 7 and 8. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary Until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Now, again, these judgments come not up from hell. They come ultimately down from heaven. They come from God, from the sanctuary. They come by the four living creatures and the seven holy angels. They come uncut with mercy and they fall upon the people of the beast. We'll start reading in chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Notice here that like the plagues in Egypt, these are targeted plagues. Part of the miracle is, is how they avoid entirely the people of God. They fall only on those who bore the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. Now we need to stop and and talk about that. For those who believe that the bowls precisely parallel the trumpets, this is not a problem at all. But for those who see this as more like the director's cut, the extended telling of the sixth trumpet, then you may be wondering why there are any saved people left upon the earth. I thought the church finished her witness and then was slain. And yes, that is the general idea. I think the symbol means that the church at some point late in the tribulation is defeated and destroyed, visibly, institutionally, and practically. But of course, that doesn't mean that individual Christians and little pockets of Christian communities aren't still existing on the earth. Of course, they are. Paul says that we will not all die. Some will be alive to see the coming of the Lord in the flesh. And so it is here. There are believers left on the earth, but they are hidden from these bowls of wrath. Verse 3, The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse. And every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. Again, we want to notice The similarities here with the plagues of the Exodus, the plagues of the Exodus turned the waters into blood. So here, now, whether this is to be understood as some sort of massive marine algae bloom or some sort of iron contamination or methane contamination due to seismic events around the world, or whether this is a straight out supernatural miracle, the text doesn't say. Verse five, and I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, just, just are you. O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Now, what we're supposed to see here is precise recompense. God's God's not overdoing it. This is equivalent justice. This is intelligent judgment. God isn't having a tantrum. He is communicating in holiness. There's a relationship between the sins committed and the judgment experienced on the earth. True and just are his judgments. Now, if it doesn't feel that way to you, that may say more about your estimation of sin than it does about the reality of God's judgment. All right, we'll pick it up at verse eight. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. Notice that phrase because you'll hear it again. They did not repent. These judgments are not leading people to repentance. Okay, the time for that is over. These judgments harden people in their hatred and rejection of God. Now, this particular judgment has something to do with the sun, right? Who knows what precisely it may involve? Is this a solar flare? Is this related to the degradation of our ozone layer? Who knows? The point is that the sun becomes the enemy of God's people and they do not repent. Verse 10. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. Again, we notice that however many of God's people remain on the earth, they are again specifically exempted from this plague. This falls on the kingdom of the beast and on his throne. Now, how that will work geographically? I do not know. Are we supposed to think of ash clouds related to seismic activity moving around the earth, creating pockets of darkness? Again, there's no specific detail on that in the text. What we are to see is that once again, they did not repent. Verse 12 to 16 tells the story of Armageddon, not the movie with Bruce Willis in it, but the sixth bowl of the apocalypse. The text says this, Sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world To assemble them for battle on the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now, as we've said many times now, the book of Revelation is like an art gallery filled with pictures painted in colors borrowed from the Old Testament. So it is here. The whole idea of Armageddon is borrowed from Judges chapter 4 and 5. The oppressor at that time was Jabin, king of Canaan. And the Canaanites have destroyed and despoiled the kingdom of God, and God's people are in hiding. They appear entirely powerless. We're told in Judges 5, 8, that they have not even one spear or shield between them. What hope is there then for the people of God? Surely, they must be utterly and finally defeated. But then, something very unusual happens. God himself takes the field. Nature becomes a weapon in the hand of God. Isn't that what we've been seeing in these plagues, in these bowls? Nature as a weapon in the hand of God? Well, that's what we see back in Judges 4 and 5. According to Judges chapter 5, there were earthquakes that day, and there was a huge, unseasonal deluge of rain. Verse 20 goes so far as to say, From heaven, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. Sisera was the general in Jabin's army. And he was defeated. He was routed that day because God himself took the field. And those colors are now picked up and reapplied to this canvas by means of this word Armageddon. Because that was the place where that battle in Judges 4 and 5 was fought. It's an actual place. You can go there. I've been there. It's an interesting place. But it's obviously a, a symbol. Whether, whether there's going to be a future battle fought in that valley or not, I'll let folks disagree on both sides. But the point is, it's a clear and obvious symbol. And therefore you find commentators like William Hendrickson saying, for this cause, for this reason, Armageddon is the symbol Of every battle in which, when the need is greatest and believers are oppressed, the Lord suddenly reveals his power in the interests of his distressed people and defeats the enemy. All right, so Armageddon is a sort of stock Bible symbol, but it is applied here to the last and archetypal battle when the Lord takes the field and the enemy is defeated. In verses 12 to 16 of Revelation 16, as we read above, we see that it is the unholy trinity of the devil, the beast, and the false prophet that unleash spiritual forces in order to gather mankind for the slaughter. That's an important detail. Remember, the devil isn't trying to defeat God. He knows that's not possible. The devil is trying to destroy mankind. And so he gathers them onto the field of slaughter. The devil is encouraging them in their rebellion against God. Listen to me, friends. Mankind in opposition to God is all alone. They have no helper. No one is on their side. They may think the devil is on their side, but they are wrong. He has come. He gathers them only to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, in verse 15, we have a parenthesis. It probably appears inside brackets in your Bible. Jesus here appears to be addressing the remnant of his true people alive on the earth. He seems to be saying, hold on, I'm coming quickly, don't give up, stay awake, stay alert, stay in faith. And then the parenthesis closes and we're told that mankind in rebellion against God has walked onto the field of slaughter. Verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there has never been seen since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. Now, notice again how at sort of the right hand of the timeline, right right as we're bumping up against the right-hand frame, we always have this particular marker, a great earthquake. This is the pin that, that you can stick through several of these visions. This is the end. This is the earth trembling at the approach of the Lord. Verse 19, the great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. This is a worldwide earthquake. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away. No mountains were to be found. This is a topographically destabilizing seismic event. Verse 21, and great hailstones, whether those are are coming from outer space or whether they're just as these earthquakes go off and you've got volcanoes firing debris up into the air, doesn't much matter. The outcome is the same. Great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. They cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. I'm sure you've heard that sometimes, actually, uh, hail is a byproduct of volcano volcanic eruption so whether this is symbol or how literally these things are to be taken in terms of what their specific application is it's hard to say the point is that just like in Judges 4 and 5 nature becomes a weapon in the hand of the Lord and the great city the world in opposition to God is here utterly and entirely thrown down and even still in all of this wrath and horror, they do not repent. To the bitter end, they shake their fist at God. Oh Lord, may this vision freshly inspire us to share the gospel with our friends and neighbors while it is yet today. While wrath is still mixed with mercy and while the spirit still moves to dig ears and to open eyes and to soften hearts to receive and believe the implanted and saving word, let us be active and instant in sharing the reason for the hope that we have in Christ. Father God, send forth your spirit pour out a spirit of grace and supplication in our day upon your people and upon the nations of the earth that the knowledge of the Lord might fill this land, this world as waters cover the sea. Do it, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: And thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you would like to support this program, please consider leaving us a rating or a review on iTunes as it will help other people find and access these materials. If you're looking for more Bible teaching from Pastor Paul, you can find our entire library of content over at the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. Or you can download the Into the Word app at the iTunes store or on Google Play. If you'd like to contribute to this listener-supported program, just go to the website and click the Give bar in the top right-hand corner. You can also contribute through the Into the Word app. We hope to connect with you again really soon right here for another episode of Into the Word.